Dave's Psych Lectures, part of the Thunderbird 6 Podcasting Network. All right. So, um, <coughs> moving right along, let's talk about um, let's talk about synapses, neurotransmitters, next few classes. Um, so, we knew about the electrical stuff. But it was pretty well established and pretty well known there must be a, a, a chemical part of, part of this too. Because they knew the synapse was there. Now most people at the time actually, uh, in the early 1920s, when this guy Otto uh, von Levy, I'm assuming that's how you pronounce that name, I'm pretty sure it's Levy. When he started, when he did this experiment, most people assumed that the connection between synapses was also electrical. Like that everything was electrical. <coughs> that it wasn't a chemical process, that it was always just changes in voltages. Now, Levy decided that, well, he didn't believe this. He thought it was something else. So he did this really neat experiment. This is in 1921. He's got a frog pinned down on a, on a, in a lab bench, and it's alive. 1921, and it's a frog. Frog's dead, Levy's dead, just get over it. <laughs> and he stimulates the vagus nerve in the in the heart uh, with electro electrical stimulation. Okay. This slowed the heart down. Huh. Okay. So he finds a nerve, slowed the heart down. And he knows they knew that this nerve did. So, so far, this just sounds like he's mean to frogs. But he had, there's a method to Herr Levy's madness. He washed the heart with a solution. And then he collected that solution. <coughs> the, the solution, strangely enough, was Red Bull. No, it wasn't. <laughs> and that's where Jägermeister comes from. But <laughs> made with frog hearts. Let's start, let's start spreading that. Just start spreading that as a rumor that it's made with frog hearts. Just see how far it goes. Because there's people say, you know, it's made with deer's blood. That's why there's deer on the it's made with deer's blood. So he collects this stuff, drinks it. No, I made that part up too. He collects that solution. He's, now he's got another frog out. And he's got him cut open. And he pours this solution... Pours is probably the wrong word. He's like, oh, it's here. <laughs> probably more like bathes it, you know, like just spoons it on gently. I'm not sure what. The second heart slows. That's kind of a cool experiment. It's very clever because he was trying to prove that there was something other than electricity doing the neural communication. He called the substance that he collected Vegastoff, because he's German, and in Germany you make up new words by just putting other words together. German, there's like four words in German, the rest of them are all compound words. <laughs> Anybody actually speak German? Because they can bear that out. It's true, right? Like, you know how you say glove in German? Handschuh. We 
came up with a perfectly good word in English, glove. <laughs> in German, they're like, yeah, it's like a, it's like a shoe for your hand. It is a hand shoe. <laughs> right? Tank, you know the word tank, you know, like, you know, like a, in the, an army, those kind of tanks. We came up with the word tank. It's interesting, the etymology, that's fascinating, like, tell you some other time. And anybody went to Churchill. But the Germans, you know, they call them Panzerkampfwagen, armored battle car. <laughs> it sounds like, you know, like a bad anime translation, right? It's, uh, so they could call it Vegastoff. You know, the stuff is from the Vegas Nova, we call it Vegastoff! <laughs> and today we call it acetylcholine, which I wish we would have changed the name. I wish we would have changed the name. That's stuff from the Vegas Nerd. So that's acetylcholine. We call it that because. Um, it's a choline molecule in an acetyl group, so it's a good name. Later on, he did the same thing, but he stimulated the hearts and made it beep. Made the heart beep, which was very impressive. <laughs> and he realized he had also discovered acid, and he had taken acid, and he thought the heart was beeping. I'm making all that part up. No, uh, he stimulated the heart, it, it beat faster. Same method. You know, he's now decided I've got a career of pouring saline on live animal hearts. And he ended up with the second heart speeding up, and he had he he discovered I almost said invented, but no, he discovered it. Before that, there was no epinephrine. Uh, he discovered epinephrine or adrenaline. You tend to call it adrenaline when it's a hormone, and epinephrine when it's a neurotransmitter. So he discovered the first two neurotransmitters. Which is pretty neat, and that's a very clever kind of experiment. <coughs> Those are very clever experiments. Which he probably should have won Nobel Prizes for, or prize for. He wouldn't get two. You can't just do the same experiment over and over and keep getting Nobel Prizes. It doesn't work that way. But I think he should have won the big one for that. I think that, you know, that's a pretty cool science. Okay. Questions about that? You understand with Levy's experiment, how they works? Pretty neat. Pretty clever. Okay. Now, these chemicals, these neurotransmitters, they're active at synapses, at technically what are called neurochemical synapses. There are other kinds of synapses that I'll talk about, that, well, I will briefly mention momentarily, well, soon. But we tend to think of synapses as the neurochemical kind. That's the kind of neurotransmitters. Um, they are, there's a gap between an axon and a dendrite. These neurotransmitters, things like Vegas stuff, and I think he called that epinephrine. Uh, yeah, I think your name for that was yeah, it speeds up in the hot and zig. I think that's what it was called. That's only it's in. We call it. So things like epinephrine and acetylcholine are released across that gap. Um, it's taken into the next neuron, etc. Uh, sometimes if all the transmitter isn't absorbed into the next neuron, it's taken back up by the original neuron. It's called reuptake. Okay? So reuptake. A lot of drugs work on reuptake. Uh, cocaine works on, on dopamine reuptake. Um, 
Lexitine, that's Prozac, works on serotonin reuptake. They stop the reuptake. So what happens if you stop the reuptake? It means there's more of the neurotransmitter sitting there, right? Okay. Questions so far? Yeah, that's probably all stuff you know. Good. Um, got two diagrams here. We got this doesn't look so much like this. But this gives you the idea that the in the presynaptic terminal, right, typically in the axon, there are neurotransmitter molecules that are encased in what are called vesicles. Now, it's not like there's one neurotransmitter molecule per, per vesicle, and that's what that make, that diagram makes it look that way. That diagram also makes it look like neurotransmitters are, are cinnamon flavored and that the vesicles taste like spearmint. Red and green, that's what I think of, I don't know. But that's roughly the idea. It's like a ball, it's like a, uh, yeah, it's like a ball of neurotransmitters. It's like a water balloon full of epinephrine. Okay. Uh, diagram on the left is a little talks a little bit more about this. So we have that. I can't really see this very well though. Um, I will explain that better than that diagram does. So I'm not going to talk. Because that doesn't actually have calcium channels, does it? One thing this does show, though, is what happens here. Is take a look. These are the vesicles, right? And they're full of neurotransmitter molecules. So that's why this diagram is better. There's, there's a lot of them. And you see what happens is we end up with it. Um, Fusing with the membrane, the cell membrane, the vesicle, and then that opens, and we get what's called a fusion pore. Okay, and the neurotransmitter then is released through the fusion pore. Uh, how does the fusion pore happen? There are voltage-sensitive channels in, in the terminal, okay? And so what they're doing is they detect voltage changes, and of course it's a big voltage change because an action potential is happening. And calcium uh, ions rush in, okay? So calcium rushes in. Uh, calcium starts a, what's the word? a series of reactions with something called snare proteins. And what they do is they create the fusion core. They make it actually bind to the uh, cell membrane and open up the cell membrane. The fusion core rushes out, transmitter And again, more than one molecule. So you can see in this picture, it's not a great picture because the Voltage sensitive channels aren't there, but you can see it starts to rush in <coughs> here. Okay. 
so then you release the neurotransmitter. <coughs> snare protein, it, it's capital S N A R E. Uh, actually, it's capital S N, capital S, capital N, capital A, small r, capital E. Stands for, stands for something I can't remember all of a sudden. It stands for snare protein. Somewhere in there, there's NSF protein. That's what the N stands for. And the R in protein, because they want it like a snare. You see, they're being clever because it's like a trap. Something NSF protein. NSF stands for uh, neural something factor. I can't remember what that stands for either. Okay. So basically what's happening then is voltage-sensitive channels, calcium comes in, calcium interacts with snare proteins, snare proteins make a fusion pore happen, or will we'll make the vesicle fuse, fusion, right, with the cell membrane, and then you get this pore opening, this opening, and that's the fusion pore, and it rushes in. variation in synapses. So it's not the case that if you've seen one synapse, you've seen them all. And typically, we think about excitatory synapses. And those are called type 1 synapses sometimes. And then we can also think about inhibitory synapses, and those are type 2 synapses. Because you know how sometimes you got to turn stuff on and turn it off. We were talking about this the other day when I talked about those networks, right? So we got inhibitory and excitatory uh, synapses. And this is going to depend on what kind of uh, ion you end up releasing in. Aha, here we are. Attachment protein on the Very good. Thank you. This is why you have the Twitter feed. Excitatory and inhibitory nature, does the shape, I shouldn't say is it due to the shape. Uh, I should say is the shape due to it being excitatory or inhibitory. I should turn that around. <coughs> it seems to be, there's something to that probably. Uh, GABA synapses are always inhibitory, almost always inhibitory. Uh, in developing embryos, they can also be excitatory. Uh, that's pretty recent. <laughs> um, but in, in any of us right now, they're, they're, they're always inhibitory. And they have less postsynaptic th thickening than glutamate synapses, which are always excitatory. <coughs> and they have more vesicles. <coughs> so glutamate is universally excitatory. GABA is universally inhibitory. Now, other uh, neurotransmitters, typically the example you're given and, and told about typically what I'm going to use is an excitatory synapse, an excitatory, uh, yeah, type 1 synapse. <laughs> but it's not the case that, say, it, it can be that sometimes a synapse uh, for uh, one neurotransmitter has 
is excitatory, and it could be for the same neurotransmitter, a few neurons over, it could be inhibitory. It just depends on what kind of ion it lets in. Okay, so if it lets in a negative ion, typically chlorine, it's going to be inhibitory. If it lets in positive, again, typically sodium, it's going to be excitatory. GABA always, the ion channel with GABA is always chlorine. The ion channel with glutamate is always sodium. But you can get variation with other, with other uh, neurotransmitters. <clears throat> this is, see, this is why I like having the Twitter feed, because it's like I've got a hive mind. I can't remember something. Somebody looks it up for me. I appreciate it greatly. There are seven types of synapses. There's not just axon dendrite synapses. There are seven types of synapses. Seven? Yeah, seven. Now, this is actually pretty cool. And typically, by the way, they aren't going to be all on one neuron. But they could be. They could be. A lot of neurons have thousands of synapses. It's very common. So we could have all seven types on one neuron. Okay. And the function of, of different kinds of synapses, um, well, you get different ones have different functions, let's say that. We learn about accidentic synapses, and I'll go through them all in a second, but we tend to teach you all, and like in intro psych, you're taught about axodendritic synapses, axon to dendrite. Probably because it's the easiest one to understand, and probably because it's the most common kind of synapse. But here we have a dendrodendritic synapse. This is when two dendrite synapses on each other. So we can have postsynaptic and presynaptic dendrites, which is kind of wacky when you think about it. Um, axodendritic is our favorite. Axon ter uh, terminates onto a dendritic spine. Another one, that's fine. We love that one. That's the classic. Axo extracellular, these are, is a terminal, and it releases neurotransmitter, but just out into the cerebral spinal fluid. It doesn't, it's, a, it's called a synapse because we have the release of neurotransmitter, but it doesn't actually connect to any other. Neuron. Okay. Thanks. Uh, axo-axonic, this is an axon, this is an axon synapsing onto another axon. Now obviously this is going to be one axon synapsing onto the axon of another neuron. Yeah? Okay? Axosynaptic is another nice one. So this actually shows axo-axonic and then an axosynaptic. Um, what we have there is when there's already a synapse. And then another neuron has an axon that synapses onto that synapse.
axosomatic axon terminates onto the cell body of another axon. And finally, axosecretory, right? Yes, the axon term, uh, terminates uh, on a blood vessel. Uh, it doesn't have to be the muscle that often So there's seven synapses. You will find, by the way, that the magic number in all of neuroscience is always seven. There's like seven kinds of synapses. There's seven steps in neural development. It's crazy. Now think about, why would you have, you might think, well, it's easiest to think about axodendritic. That's probably true. Why would we have, what would the function be of some of these other kinds of synapses? Well, think about an axosynaptic synapse. So we're going from an axon to another uh, synapse. Right? Axon over another synapse. Well, this could be a way to do a couple of things. This could be a way to modulate something. So let's say we have an excitatory, so we go neuron A to neuron B, axon dendritic. So axodendritic from neuron A to neuron B. And it's a standard ex uh, uh, excitatory situation. Okay. However, on neuron so neuron B, <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> Damn. On neuron B, there also could be receptors for for say GABA for an inhibitory neurotransmitter. So this other neuron might be neuron C now. The synapse in the synapse could be a releasing GABA, right? So now what we get is a modulating thing. We're starting to get excitatory postsynaptic potentials, but if we're releasing GABA into that synapse, we're also going to get some inhibition. So this is how we can, remember we talked about summation, temporal and spatial summation. This is how we could get positives and negatives in the same synapse, right? So positive votes and negative notes, uh, votes excitation inhibition in the same synapse. Okay? Does that make sense? So you can think about something like that where you can get, or you might think, why would there be axon into why would axo extracellular synapses exist? Anybody have an idea what they would do? How would that work? What would that do? Well, think about this. It could lead to like a sort of a base rate of a certain neurotransmitter in CSF. Axosomatic, why would that be? What would the function of an axosomatic synapse be? So when it's you got an axon synapsing onto a cell body. What would the function of that be? Just take a flight of fancy. Imagine. A flight. I've never said that in my life. <laughs> First time in my life I've said flight of fancy. Imagine. What could it do? So the axon onto a cell body. Okay. Neurotransmitters made. How is neurotransmitter formed? Guys, they're proteins. Where are they made? 
I'm looking at the biology students. <laughs> Where are proteins made typically? They're good, 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 good. And where, and where in the cells that? What's it close to? Well, and where's that? Is it in the axon of the dendrite? No, it's in the cell body. Right? Interesting perspective I've ever taken. Very relaxing, actually. It's kind of zen-like. Um, okay, so instead then of the second neuron, one we get so neuron A is going to be axon, neuron B is the soma, so axosomatic. Instead of it having to make dopamine, it gets it from another neuron, so it it's going to have more dopamine in it, isn't it? See, that was quite a flight of fancy, wasn't it? Yeah, it's like freaking chitty chitty bang bang right there. <laughs> I make so few Disney references. Especially the Big Ben Dyke films. Most of these are just for me at this point. Um, and apparently you. Um, so, when you think about these different uh, kinds of connections, there can be many different kinds, and it makes some sense. The only one I actually honestly can't figure is dendrodendritic. I don't understand why a dendrite would synapse onto a dendrite. It doesn't follow at all to me. And I've asked many of my friends who do the similar sort of work that I do, and said, why are they, what do they do? And everybody goes, I don't know. <laughs> Honestly, I've had that reaction to like five or six other people. And not just guys I talk to on the street. Like, you know, I just walk up to guys. So what have been going to Denver and they put synapses with it? I just asked you for some change. I didn't think it'd be a quiz. <laughs> Or I asked that flute guy that used to be downtown. That's a joke. I didn't. Um, remember that guy? He's playing the flute. He played the same scale all day long. At first, you think, oh, he's just warming up. It's a flute player. That's kind of cool. And then he just does the same thing all day. <laughs> you think, dude, you know, you really should learn some songs. Look, I've never played flute. Maybe it's hard. So I think it's easiest to think about. Of course, these guys here basically making muscles move. They can also um, are contracted, uh, you know, so movement happens. But they can also, for example, release neurotransmitters into the bloodstream, which will, that will then act as hormones. A lot of what we call, when it's in the, in the central nervous system, we call them neurotransmitters. When they get into the autonomic nervous system, we call them hormones. So epinephrine. Right? Is like any old excitatory neurotransmitter in a lot of respects. However, when we release it into the bloodstream, we get the sympathetic nervous system kicking in, the fight or flight response. Right? And that happens because the epinephrine then binds to receptors, same kind of idea, but in different organs. This is one of the reasons it takes long. Okay, I see, seven. Oh, by the way, remember we talked about how long and, um, it, it takes like maybe 10 meters, the speed is like 10 meters per second within a neuron. Sorry, 100 meters per second, but it's actually uh, closer to 
10 or 20 when you get a whole nervous system. That calcium current thing happens really fast in the creation of a fusion port. That happens, uh, you measure that in microseconds. That happens in like, uh, I don't know, 100, what have I read, but 150 microseconds. And the calcium uh, coming in and the snare proteins in the fusion point, that's like 150 microseconds. It's very, very fast. Very fast. Okay. Again, seven is the magic number, the seven steps in nervous transmission. Synthesis. You might have to make neurotransmitters. And you don't always have to. We get a lot of neurotransmitters from our food. We, they're the molecules that we directly ingest. Um, glutamate is a great example. Right? Storage. So you might be stored in a vesicle. But you might have to make it, too. You might actually have to make um, these proteins. Storage, then release. When it's four more after release, yes. Receptor interaction. So what happens is the molecule binds with a, um, a binding site on a receptor, on a postsynaptic receptor. And, and it's a lock and key mechanism. You know the lock and key metaphor, the biology students at least do, for, for, for enzymes, right? So it's the same kind of idea where if we think of so there's a receptor, there's my hand, we'll pretend. And there's the binding site, and then the neurotransmitter comes down and it binds, right? And once it binds, and I'll explain to you in a second, it's a little more complicated than this, it then opens an ion channel. So it's a lock and key, and then there's a door. Um, when it interacts with the receptor, the receptor molecule itself and the neurotransmitter uh, fold, okay, and then they go in and out of the cell membrane seven times. Ha! Seven again. This is why it is the lucky number. No, it's this protein. This basically this this receptor neurotransmitter complex. Uh, it folds into a bunch of different shapes as it enters and exits seven times. The um, next neuron, which then causes it to open an ion channel. And this happens again. This is microseconds. This is like, it's not like you could watch it under a microscope and go, oh, cool, look, there's the fold one. Now number two is done. You know, and it's faster than that. It also makes that sound. If you listen very closely in someone's ear, you can hear that because it's their brain. It's not true. <laughs> I just started sometimes saying things weren't true, because sometimes people believe it and they write it down. You know, so. And then I get it on tests, like, oh, I kind of give the credit there. I didn't say this was a lie. <laughs> Except when it's something that's obvious that somebody writes down to think about the eyes being filled with caramel, things like that. Now, the um, neurotransmitter molecule is now released. Um, so the neurotransmitter and receptor complex, the neurotransmitter molecule comes back off of it now that it's into the next neuron. Sometimes it's actually then uh, used, stored by the next neuron. That does happen. More often than not, though, this thing is inactivated. 
And this is an activated, usually just with some, uh, some enzyme or some series of enzymes. So the molecule itself changes. So with acetylcholine, um, acetylcholine esterase interacts with acetylcholine, removes the acetyl group, and then the choline molecule is actually released by the postsynaptic neuron and released back up to the presynaptic neuron. So it can use it again to make more acetylcholine. Um, we can get reuptake. Now here, we're, now there's two different things. Reuptake is when a neurotransmitter has not bound to a receptor site. <coughs> okay. We can also get uptake of the inactivated neurotransmitter, and that's let's say a choline molecule, for example. They're very similar things. Are they the, I've been asked before, does that go through the fusion pore? That fusion pore is gone already. Uh, that's not really what happens. There's a transport protein um, that brings it through the cell membrane. Now, sometimes there's actual pumps um, that bring in some of these uh, molecules if they're smaller molecule neurotransmitters like acetylcholine. And then degradation. Now, it may be the case eventually that it gets broken down into its constituent parts and the constituent parts, of course, This, by the way, all of these steps can be affected. Where should I say all? Pretty much all of those steps. Um, drugs can affect almost all those steps. So think about this. If you had a drug that could increase the rate of synthesis excuse me, have a neurotransmitter, that would be a useful thing, right? It would, it would have some effect anyway. I don't know of anything that does anything with storage offhand. Of release, you could have a drug that causes release without action potentials. It can cause what's called synaptic uh, leakage, which is basically just, you end up with, with no, neuro, uh, no action potential, but you still get the release of neurotransmitters. This happens with um, with cocaine. Cocaine just causes spontaneous release of dopamine. The big place for drugs to act here is at the receptor inter inter interaction stage. What if you had a molecule that was shaped enough like the neurotransmitter molecule to bind to a binding site? Right? And a lot of them work this way. So if you had something like, for example, uh, morphine is almost exactly the same molecule as uh, the endorphins and enkephalins that we have already in our brains. We make our own morphine. We make our own morphine. We just don't make it in mass quantities. Right? So it can be used as a painkiller, which is what its, its function is in, in the nervous system. Uh, it can also make you, you know, 
have a rush, for, like a heroin rush. We could have drugs that inactivate neurotransmitters before they get a chance to bind to a receptor. We could have drugs that block reuptake, and that's, in fact, classes of drugs like this are things like fluoxetine, Prozac, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, SSRIs. They stop reuptake of serotonin. A cocaine stops the reuptake of dopamine, so you have more dopamine available. And your reward system, the one that's in the nucleus accumbens, it runs on dopamine. So that means there's, means there's more dopamine available. This is why people start cocaine, because it feels good. I can't offhand think of how anything would work at degradation. I don't think we'd really do a whole lot, actually. So you can see that drug interactions and synapses, they say, well, uh, <coughs> what about this, obviously, the function is, isn't just for drugs. Well, think about this. All these stages are places where other molecules, other second messengers, can come in and do things. So you could, for example, have a what are called neuromodulators. And these are, they're like neurotransmitters, but what they do is they change the effects of neurotransmitters. They may make the neurotransmitter a little more efficient. Uh, they may make it cause more synthesis, these kind of things. They act as neuromodulators, and there's all kinds of those in our brain, too. Um, and for example, caffeine works on the neuromodulator agnosine. And what that neuromodulator does is allow for more release of dopamine. So what caffeine does is it wakes you up more, and it also feels good. Okay? So you've got a whole lot of sort of natural processes. If, you know, this isn't just about drugs. It's not like why we have synapses. This allows for a complicated network to make complicated decisions. Okay. Questions on that stuff? I think it's a great place to stop. We can ask, we can ask questions about the upcoming test. So, if you weren't here, you missed it, haha. <laughs>
podcast is released under a Creative Commons copyright share like 2.5 Canada. Uh, feel free to redistribute the information as you see fit, but please don't make any money out of it. And if you do, you got to tell me because I'm reserving that right. Giving up all the other ones, including uh, mash it up any way you want, okay? Um, also, of course, give me attribution. If you want to get a hold of me, my email address is dave.broadbeck, B-R-O-D-B-E-C-K, at algomau.ca. My website is people.auc.ca slash broadbeck slash blog. Uh, most of the music, uh, all the music's Podsafe, and most of it comes from GarageBand.com or the Podsafe Music Network. See you next time.